Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this morning. Thank you for worship. Father, thank you for the gathering of believers, Lord. We've gathered to worship your name. We've gathered to worship you in spirit and truth. And Lord, we love you and we praise you. We thank you for your sweet presence in this room. Father, we thank you that you are with us. Lord, be honored, be glorified in our worship, in our fellowship, in our teaching, and in everything we say and do. It's for your honor and your glory. And all God's people said in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may have a seat. Happy Reformation Day. Happy Reformation Day. What happened on this day in 1517? Martin Luther went to the Catholic Church and he nailed his 95 thesis to the door, protesting how the Roman Church had gone astray. And it's, it was the Protestant Reformation that it, it greatly impacted us. We are where we are today. We are Protestants. The, the word Protestant, it was, a, it was a protest of how the church had gotten away from the Bible. It was get back to the Bible. And it didn't start with Martin Luther. Actually, Martin Luther was after uh, Jan Hus. Jan Hus was after John Wycliffe. It actually started in the 1300s with John Wycliffe. The Catholic Church... Uh, the church at Rome, they hated John Wycliffe so much that 43 years after his death, he was buried in the, the, the church cemetery. They went and buried, they went and dug up his remains and they burned them. And then they put them in the swift river because they didn't want to have nothing to do with him. But just, I heard one commentator, I was reading last night, one commentator said, just as, uh, John Wycliffe, you know, the Wycliffe Bible translators and all those guys that ministry that was birthed out of him, just as his uh, influence, his ashes were put into the Swift River, they went into the creeks, they went into the Mediterranean, they went, they, his influence spread around the world. It was a getting back to the Bible. So happy Reformation Day. Happy Reformation Day. And uh, so please turn into Bibles. We're going to be in two places. We're going to real briefly make a pit stop at Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 13, and then we'll dive into Third uh, John. So let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your word. Father, as we dive into it today, Lord, uh, feed our hearts, feed our souls. Lord, we are, we are listening to your voice through the word. In Jesus' mighty name I pray, amen. Amen. Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 13, the scripture says, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints. And here it is, guys, at the very end of verse 13, practicing hospitality. Practicing hospitality. That is a Christian virtue. That is something that we should do as believers. So the title of my message this morning is True Hospitality. True Hospitality. The word hospitality comes from the Greek word philoxenia. It means the love of strangers. Hospitality is showing kindness, warmth, and love to complete strangers. For some, it's simply being kind and polite. Others, it's making a meal. It's welcoming visitors into your home and into your life in the name of Jesus. 
because we're Christ followers, because we are born again, we um, welcome all people into our life, in, into our life to, to introduce them to Christ, to show them the new way of life that Christ provides for all of us. So this morning we're looking at hospitality, and I took you to Romans chapter 12 because now turning your Bibles to 3 John, because the uh, 3 John is the book we're studying this morning, and 3 John is a very personal letter, and it's a very short letter, but if you were summarizing the epistle of 3 John, it's one subject and three people, okay? One subject, three people. The subject of 3 John is hospitality. It's hospitality. And the three people that we're going to look at this morning is Gaius, who gave hospitality, Diotrephus, who refused hospitality, and Demetrius, who received hospitality. So the way we're going to study these 15 verses this morning is we're going to look at three individuals. We're going to look at three individuals that John is addressing when it comes to the subject of hospitality. So let's dive into the first person in this epistle uh, Third John, uh, verse 1, the first person we're going to look at is Gaius. Verse 1 says, The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Again, John here is the elder. This is the end of his life. This was between 90 and 100 A.D. He is most likely the last survivor of the apostolic teachers who wrote the scriptures. And he says here, he's writing to Gaius. And notice, as he's writing to Gaius, he brings out two things about Gaius in verse 1. Do you see what they are? The two things concerning Gaius in verse 1? One is two loves. Gaius is loved by God, and Gaius is loved by John. You know, he says, to the beloved Gaius. That word beloved is a reference to God's love toward Gaius. And that word beloved it just the difference between beloved and love is beloved is an intense love. It's an intense love that goes deep and it can't be shaken. And he's talking about John's he's talking about God's love toward Gaius. And you need to understand that same love goes towards you and me. That same love goes towards you and me. God's love towards you is intense and is deep. You want to know how tense and how deep it is? Look at what Jesus went through at the cross. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, God demonstrates his own love for us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The sacrifice of Christ shows you the depth of the Father's love towards Gaius and towards you and I. And I love John's personal touch, his personal touch on this letter. Because after he talks about beloved Gaius, talking about God-loving God Gaius, he says, whom I love in the truth. You know, he, John loved Gaius so deeply because Gaius was so deeply committed to Jesus. That's basically what he's saying when he says, whom I love in truth. See, the gospel is the truth. Jesus is the truth. The word is the truth. And Gaius was into Jesus, and Gaius was into the word. And because of this, it formed a deep love in John's heart towards Gaius. So we see Gaius' heart. We see this servant of the Lord. We see his intensity to serve Christ. Let's look at verse 2. We're, we're, looking, at, we're looking at Gaius. Verse 2, he says, Beloved, 
I pray that in all respects, I love this, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health just as your soul prospers. John here is praying in verse 2. He's, he's making a prayer for Gaius. He's saying, I pray that your physical well-being will match your spiritual well-being. That's what he's saying. He's, he's saying, I'm praying for your well-being. I want you to do well in life, physically. I, w- I want you to do well in life. I want you to, he uses the word twice in, in, in verse 2, prosper. That word prosper means a state of well-being. This same Greek word is used in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2, where Paul says, On the first day of, the, of, of, of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper so that no collection be made when it comes. See, God cares for your physical well-being, okay? God cares for your physical well-being. He really, really does, okay? And somebody, some of you need to hear that this morning. He cares most importantly about your heart, because that's number one spiritually, but he cares about your physical well-being. If you are going to be engaged in effective ministry and life itself, You have to take care of yourself. You have to take care of yourself. That's very important. Food is important. What we eat is important. You know, he gave Israel the the dietary law. Now, we're not under the dietary law, but he gave them the dietary law in the Old Testament because what they ate and what they consumed was very important. He cares. The care of your body is very important to the Lord. Now, There's a priority. There's a priority in our well-being in life. Number one is spiritual, okay? And and physical well-being doesn't compare, it doesn't even come close to how important our spiritual well-being. The most important well-being for you and I is that our hearts be in the right place. That That we are saved. That we are born again that we are followers of Christ, that we have turned from our sin, that, that we've brought everything to his throne of grace and we're not hiding or, or, or harboring any darkness, hatred, or sin in our hearts, okay? That's number one, okay? That's, that's, that's number one, spiritually speaking. We need to have pure hearts before him. But also, we need to take care of our physical body. We need to take care of this life that God has given us. We can't just let our body go to hell in a handbasket and just say, you know, it's all about spiritual, not about physical. You know, that's, that's, that's not biblical. So there's a priority. God cares for every facet of your life. Okay, friend? God cares for every facet of your life. Take care of yourself spiritually and take care of yourselves physically. It's good, and it's good to pray for our physical well-being because he's doing it right here. But always remember that our physical well-being comes after our spiritual well-being. So he's praying for him. Look at verse 3. Looking at Gaius here. He says, For I was very glad when you, brethren, came and testified to your truth. That is how you are walking in the truth. The next thing that John points out concerning Gaius here is what? Simple. He walked in the truth. He walked in the truth. What does walking in the truth mean? It means being faithful to God. Being faithful to God in life. That should be our ultimate goal in life, is to be faithful to him who gave his life for us 
at Calvary to serve the Lord, to say, God, you are first in my life, to be completely committed to Jesus Christ. In the original language, verse 3, he says, and testify to your truth. In the original language, that would be translated to the truth that is in you. What was the truth that was in him? The Holy Spirit. Being, being uh, born again, being saved, and being filled with the Holy Spirit. So walking in the truth is being born again, serving the Lord, being faithful uh, to God in all aspects of life. God calls you and I not only to believe the truth, what we see in Scripture, we read it, we believe it, we receive it, but after we believe it and receive it, we walk it out. We walk it out in everyday life. In other words, in our Christian walk, we put one foot in front of the other and we live out what we believe and how we treat people in the way we live life and in every area of our life, we say, Lord, please be honored. Please, please allow me to honor you and glorify you and all I say and do and walk. And John is just bubbling over in joy to see his Gaius. Some uh, commentators believe that uh, Gaius may have been the pastor at Pergamum and he, he, may, have, he may have been the leader there. We're not 100% sure on that, but, he, but John has got this faithful pastor serving a, a church in a region not far from him where he's writing. He's most likely in Ephesus writing this letter to this other pastor, Gaius. Verse, let's look at verse 4. He says, I have no greater joy than this to hear my children are walking in the truth. There again, he's reminiscing. He's continuing this thought process of, the, of verse 3. And what John is doing here is he's expressing his personal feelings. He's expressing his personal feelings. The ultimate joy of every pastor is to see those he teaches and to see those he lead go out and live the truth. Okay? It brings, it brings my heart great joy when I see the body at Calvary Chapel Irmo ministering to each other, calling each other, praying for each other, encouraging each other, being a part of ministries. It brings us great, great joy to see the people under your leadership uh, exercising their faith. Love it. It, it helps, you, helps me lay my head on my pillow at night and sleep in peace, knowing that all is well and people are serving. On the flip side of that, it breaks the pastor's heart. It breaks my heart to see people come to church, hear the word of God, and then find out later they have fallen away. It breaks our hearts. I'm not judgmental. I'm not mad. I'm not angry when someone falls. I'm mad at the devil, but I'm not mad. I'm heartbroken. I'm heartbroken when someone is serving the Lord and loving Jesus, and then, and then they, they fall away. I'm heartbroken. And in my heart, I want to go after them. I want to pull some brothers and sisters and say, hey, man, we got to go after such and such. we got to go help them. Because that should be our heart, not a judgmental heart, but a heart of compassion. Because it brings us great joy. Verse 4, I have no greater joy than this than to hear my children walking in the truth. And the same thing can be said of parenting, okay? Same thing can be said of parenting. Nothing brings a mom or dad more joy than to see their children serving the Lord and going out and being successful. That, does that not bring you joy? It brings us all great joy when we see those that we shepherd and that we are over, 
um, going out and serving the Lord. Let's continue. Verse 5. Really deep passage here. He says, Beloved, you are acting faithfully in whatever you accomplish for the brethren, and especially when they are strangers. So So Gaius... What is he saying about Gaius in this verse? We're, look, we're looking at Gaius. He's saying that Gaius was faithful. Gaius was faithful to the family of God and strangers. So Gaius was faithful to those within his, his church, to the brothers and sisters in Christ. But he's also faithful to the strangers. Now, what you need to keep in mind, this is the end of the first century, okay? And at the end of the first century, we didn't have church buildings yet. They were using some of the local synagogues to to minister and those who were born over to Christ, but there weren't no established church buildings yet. So itinerant preachers, missionaries, and evangelists, as they were traveling in the first century, they had to have a place to stay. And so Gaius is is hosting these people. And these are the strangers that he's talking about, as we're going to see in verse, when we get to verse 7 and 8, the strangers that's being talked about in this passage are traveling missionaries, traveling preachers, people that are out doing ministry and don't have a place to stay. But Gaius here says in verse 5, he says, uh, that Gaius, I'm sorry, John says, talking about Gaius, says two things in verse 5 I want to point out. He's faithful to the family of God. By being there for brothers and sisters, helping them in time of need, encouraging them, loving them, challenging them, praying for them. You know, in other words, he's not dipping out. He's there in the good times and he's there in the bad times for those people in the body of Christ. But his faithfulness not only extends to the family of God, but look at the end of verse 5. And especially when they are strangers. Again, he's talking about missionaries, evangelists, those who travel. And you pick that up in verses 7. Missionaries need extra love, family. Missionaries need extra love. You and I, we're living at home. We're living the American dream. But missionaries and those who travel abroad, they're in a foreign land, serving the Lord, most likely raising a family. Now, they have God's love, but they need our love and support also. So we cannot forget those who are out on the mission field and those who are traveling in ministries. They sacrifice a lot to take the gospel to foreign lands and around the world. And we got to love and support them. Uh, you, and I are to be, are, you and I are faithful to them when we love, encourage, pray for, support, and help them in every way possible. And don't forget about Hebrews. Remember the part about entertaining strangers? What they might be? Hebrews 13, 2, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2, do not neglect to show here the same word, hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. So what the, basically what that is saying is we exercise hospitality in the body of Christ, we exercise hospitality outside the body of Christ, and we exercise hospitality at every opportunity we can, because Christ is in us, and that love and that compassion For all people is in us to help other people. Remember, when you step into eternity, you can't take nothing with you. 
You can't take your home with you. You can't take your finances with you. You came into this world naked, you're going to leave this world naked. Let's take our time, talents, treasures, resources, and everything we have to help other people. Now, take care of yourself. Buy your home. Get, your, get all your, your, your needs in order. But after that, let's be a people that bless those around us. And Gaius is this. Gaius, Gaius man, this guy's on fire, and John's loving him. Look at verse 6. Verse 6, and it says, They have testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. You really have to study this passage and study each verse to see the picture of what's going on. But he's talking about itinerant preachers and missionaries and those who are coming and going. And, and Gaius loved traveling missionaries. He, and he treated them well, according to look at verse 6. He treated them well in what? In a manner worthy of God. What does that mean to treat them in a manner worthy of God? It means this. We treat them the same way God treats them, okay? You and I are the hands and feet of Jesus, not only to this world, but to missionaries and to all those who serve. Ministry is about serving people, okay? Ministry is about serving people, and sometimes we have to serve difficult people. Sometimes we have to serve friendly people, but we serve all people here it is, guys, according to verse 6, we serve all people, what? In a manner worthy of God. So if I get an opportunity to minister to you, I'm going to give you 100%. Maybe one-on-one -on -one counseling or, or discipleship or preaching and teaching, I'm, I'm going to give you 100%. I'm going I'm to teach in a way that's in a manner worthy of God. If a brother or sister comes to you and needs help, Give them that ministry in a manner worthy of God is what we should do so we can help each other in serving Christ. Verse 7, verse 7. Oh, this is good. Oh, it's like, this is like a parenthetical statement in verse 7. John, John is uh, pausing his thought on Gaius, and he's turning his attention in the text to those that we serve, to those that we show um, generosity and hospitality to. Look at verse 7. He's making a statement about them. He says in verse 7, For they went out for the sake of the name. They went out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Friends and family, you could just circle verse 7, and you could just say, This is the heartbeat of every single outreach, Okay? This is the heartbeat uh, uh, of missions. This is the heartbeat of evangelism. This is why we go to Columbia High. This is why we go to Irmo High. This is why we go to Dutch Fork High School. This is why we feed the football teams. This is why we have Bible studies. This is why we go and, and to the schools and to everybody who will open their door to us. We go out for the sake of their name. Oh, excuse me, the sake of his name, excuse me. <laughs> The sake of Jesus' name. We want them to know the Lord. We want them to know him. That's what we want. The heartbeat of outreach and missions is we don't go out for our own name or for our own ambition or for our own glory. We go out to exalt the highest name. The name that's above all names. 
the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the heartbeat of missions. That's the heartbeat of outreach is we go out for them. Listen to Acts chapter 5, verse 40 and 41, talking about the disciples. He says, uh, they took his advice, and after calling the apostles in, they flogged them and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and then released them. So they went out on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. They considered everything. The, the disciples had, a, had abandoned their dream, the, 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 the dream of our life, the American dream. They forsook their life and their dreams for his name to go out and to, and to preach the gospel. It was for his fame. How in the world could these... We, church history tells us the only disciple that didn't die a martyr was John. And John's here writing this here at the end of the first century. But all the other disciples, they gave up their life for the name. Do you see how much they treasured Jesus? They had found eternal life. They had found forgiveness of sin. And now they're like, I've got to go spread this name. That was the heartbeat and the fervor of the first century disciples. That's the heartbeat and the fervor of Christians today is to simply go out and, like a beggar, from one beggar to another, man. This I have for you, Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, to become a born-again believer, to put your trust in Christ. You know, if you can't draw them with the gospel, there's nothing else you can draw them with, okay? Because nothing's higher Nothing's higher in life than forgiveness of sin and eternal life in knowing Jesus. is knowing Christ. So we go out for the sake of the name. And we go out with a strong and a powerful gospel that, 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 that displays how God can forgive them through the power of the cross. But we go out for the name. Verse 8. Verse 8. I love this. Disciples, missions, outreach. They go out. And do ministry for the sake of the name. But guess what? The local church or those who may not have the opportunity to go out with them can play a part. It's, it's as if you are there. You're not there physically, but you're there spiritually in, in supporting them. Look at verse 8. That's where he's going in verse 8. Therefore, we ought to support such men so that we may be fellow workers with the truth. Here's the truth from this verse. When you and I support missions and evangelism, it's like you are there with them. You are there with them. You are a partner. You are a partner. And I'm here to tell you, church, I'm here to tell, report to each and every one of you guys, you are with us in our outreach here at Calvary Chapel, Irmo. On Wednesday, October 27th, we got to go to Columbia High School, set up in the library, and... Uh, we, we, we purchased and we bought the entire football team a meal. And then I got to stand up at the Columbia High School library and I got to have a Bible study with the entire football team and, and share with them the gospel of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? It was awesome, man. These guys were in the zone. They were focused. 
And everybody made comments of how intense they were listening to every word I said, okay? And it was amazing to see the Lord working in their hearts. But guess what? You were a part of that. You were a part of that. Everybody here this morning that supports Calvary Chapel Irmo, you were a part of that ministry to Columbia High. On Friday, October 8th, we went to Irmo High School in the high school cafeteria. We served the team the pregame meal. Then I got to get up and share the gospel with the football team and, and all the sports staff. Okay? It was an amazing uh, afternoon of sharing with the school. The coaches, they're all welcoming. Come on in, Pastor Ford. Share the word with the team. And it was, an, it, was, it was an amazing time. But guess what? You were a part of it. Because you supported Calvary, because you support Calvary Chapel Irmo through financial support, through prayer support, through some people helping us logistically, you played a part. On Thursday, September 30th, um, last week we went to Columbia High and we talked to the football team in the, in the um, library. But back on September 30th, we went to Columbia High and we fed the team a pregame meal and we shared the gospel with them. You were a part of that through your support. On Friday, September 24th, we went to Dutch Fork High School and we served the... Uh, the varsity football team, their pregame meal, and I got to share the gospel with them, and I got to pray with them. Well, guess what? You were a part of it, okay? So when you support Calvary Chapel, and maybe you're not able to make it on these outreaches, you are a part of it. And it is the same thing as you being there. Look at verse 8 again. Therefore, we ought to support such men so that we may be fellow workers with the truth that we may be fellow, you're a fellow worker when you support outreach. Very important. So guys, thank you. Thank you for all you do to the outreaches, to the local schools. Yeah, praise the Lord. If you financially support Calvary Chapel, it's just as if you were there with us. You are there, you are with us as a partner in this outreach. Now, hospitality the subject this morning, hospitality is an awesome ministry. Hospitality is an awesome ministry, and it blesses so many people in so many ways. But unfortunately, not everybody's down with hospitality. There will be people who oppose this ministry. I don't know why, but some people will oppose it. And that's where we get to diatrophies. So let's look at verse 9. So he's finished praising Gaius. Now he's going to address uh, diatrophies. Verse 9. John says, I wrote something to the church, oh, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first among them. He does not accept what we say. For this reason, if I come, I will call attention to his deeds, which he does, unjustly accusing us with wicked words. And not satisfied with this, he himself does not receive the brethren, either, and he forbids those who desire to do so and puts them out of the church. Diotrephes, in our text this morning, he refuses to show, context of the chapter, he refuses to show hospitality. Back at verse 9, look at verse 9. He says he loves to be first, meaning that uh, Diotrephes, he seeks a place of power and fame among the church. Okay? He wants the attention to be on him. He wants the attention to be inward and not, and, and not outwards. He loves to be first. He's competing with church leadership or he's trying to dominate control of the church. And that's not a place 
Those are not characteristics of any leader we want in the church. Verse 9 also says, it says, um, he does not accept what we say. At the very end of verse 9, John says, he does not accept what we say. Basically, um, Diotrephes, he refuses to submit to authority. He refuses to submit to church leadership. He refuses to submit to um, the authority within the church. And church ministry is all about submitting. First and foremost, we submit to Christ. Okay? We submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. And after we submit to him, we submit to his word. And then we submit to the godly, humble leadership within the church that organizes everything and puts it all together. And when you get those in order, man, it makes for a powerful and a very effective ministry. So we, 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 we have to submit to the Lord, to his word, and to church leaders and outreach so that we can all be in sync and so that we can all work together in our outreach. And look at verse 10. Verse 10, I saw another one. He says um, another thing against Diotrephes. He says in verse 10, he unjustly accuses us, accusing us with wicked words. In other words, um, they were slandering the leader's names. You know, Diotrephes, he's proud, he's arrogant, he's selfish, and he's centered, and he's self-centered. Diotrephes, in our text this morning, he refuses to show hospitality. He refuses to show hospitality. It's this inward focus, no outward focus, no outreach, no evangelism, no hospitality. And what do you do? What do you do if you have a diatrophies in, in the church? They have to be removed. They have to be removed from a place of leadership or it will wreck and poison the church. Friend, friend, friends and family to all churches, we are called to be to, we are called to hospitality. We are called to be outward focused in our evangelism. And anybody who stands in the way of that is standing in the way of the heart of God. That we, uh, we minister to the body, okay? Church, don't get me wrong. Don't, don't misunderstand me. Church, church gathering is for the body. This is where we gather for me to minister to you, to build you up, to equip you for service. But after we've been built up and we've been equipped and we've been filled up with God's love, filled up with fellowship, filled with the word, filled with the spirit, yielded in all ways, then we go out and we reach the world and we touch those around us in our workplace, in our community, in our schools, and, and everywhere around us. That's what we do. Uh, verse 11, continuing, he says, uh, Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. The one who does good is of God. The one who does evil has not seen God. Okay? What he's saying there, he says, do not imitate what is evil. Do not follow Diotrephes' example. He is evil. He is evil, and he is not focused on the Lord, but he is focused on himself. He's focused on his own glory, his own pride. You know, and it is, it is evil for us not to show hospitality. On the contrary, however, it is good. And it is right, and it pleases God when we show hospitality. So let's be rich in hospitality. Again, go back to my definition. Hospitality is all in the name of Christ, showing kindness, warmth, and love to complete strangers. Being polite, being kind, making other people meals, and welcoming the stranger 
in the name of Christ. Amen? All right, cool. So that was uh, Gaius, that was Diotrephes. Now he's going to shift in verse, look at verse 12. He's going to shift to Demetrius. Demetrius is just one verse. But Demetrius, if you're taking notes, he is the man who received hospitality. So one gave hospitality, one refused hospitality, and now Demetrius uh, receives hospitality. Let's look at it, verse 12. Uh, Verse 12 says, Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. And we add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. Most scholars and commentators agree that Demetrius was likely a missionary or an evangelist, someone that was traveling, that was doing ministry. Demetrius could have been the one who uh, delivered this letter to Gaius from John. We're not 100% sure, but we know that he was traveling, and we know that he was doing ministry. And John is telling Gaius here, he's telling him, accept Demetrius, embrace Demetrius, show him hospitality, because he has a good testimony. He he mentions three things for his good testimony. He's... uh, From everyone, in verse 12, then from the truth, and then John says, and we add our testimony. So his testimony came from one, the church, the believers. The the believers from the church, they testified to who he was. From the scripture, when it says, and from the truth itself, in other words, uh, Demetrius was living up to the standards of scripture. He was qualified biblically, morally, to be doing the ministry that he was a part of. And then John, on top of it, and, and, and one of the apostolic fathers, he says, and we add our testimony. John himself is testifying that Demetrius is for real. He is the real deal. And because he's the real deal, and because he's bringing the gospel, embrace him fully, take him in, support him in all ways that you can, okay? And so that's what we should do. That's, what, that, that's, that's exactly what you, you and I should do. The application for Demetrius in verse 12 in 2021 for the church today is this. That you and I, family, need to examine the ministries we support. Making sure that they are solid, that they are founded on the word, that they are centered on the gospel, Did they make a clear gospel presentation? And if they are, if they meet the qualifications of Scripture, the missionaries, the ministries that we support, if they are, we need to get 100% behind them. We need to get 100% behind them and do everything we can to help them. That is hospitality. You know, we we support several missions, missionaries here, and we help some local ministries some local pro-life ministries here in the Columbia area. And we need to do everything we can, not only to financially support them, but send them letters of encouragement, stop by and see them, check on them, see how they're doing, and show them lots of love. Because a lot of times those ministries out there um, that aren't part of the local church, they, they can get lonely. They can get lonely, and it can, it can be difficult times, especially if they're raising a family, especially if they have kids. And those families that are out on the mission field and are serving, we need to give them extra measures of love. Send them a postcard. Send them a phone call. I've learned over the past seven years as a pastor that, man, 
I, I never realized how, how encouraging and how important a phone call is or a letter. I'll, I'll get letters in the mail from people and just thanking me for, for teaching the word or something I said that really opened up their eyes. And man, it just lifts my day. It just lifts my day. Sometimes I'll have those difficult weeks. I'll be, I'll be dealing with someone that's challenging or difficult or maybe something's going on at home or, or whatever, and I'll get that letter of encouragement. Man, it, just, it causes my spirit to soar, okay? I'm human. I'm a human just like you guys, okay? I experience emotions, feelings. Sometimes I'm happy. Sometimes I'm depressed. Sometimes it's, life is challenging. Sometimes life is good. The same thing can be said of those evangelists out there and those missionary organizations. They have their ups and downs. So let's do all, all we can to show them hospitality, love, and support. Amen? All right, let's, let's finish it up. He closes here, verse 13 through 15. He says, And I have many things to write to you, but I am not willing to write them to you with pen and ink. But I hope to see you shortly, and we will speak face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends by name. If one thing we see in John's life, and later on, you know, this is his, the end of his life between 90 and 100 A.D., one thing we see in John, man, is he loved the church. He loved Christians, and he loved all those who were out there working and serving the Lord. Remember, this is the beginning. This is the first century of Christianity. The church wasn't fully established. They had lots of challenges, lots of difficult things to go through. So every time, uh, every time he encounters someone that's serving faithfully, it brought his heart great joy, okay? And that, that same needs to be said of day. Need, that same thing needs to be said and practiced today. That when we see those serving the Lord, we need, it needs to bring our hearts great love for them and those they serve. Amen? Amen. So church, let's go out. Let's, let's exercise hospitality. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the, the subject that we've looked at this morning, hospitality. Lord, help us to do what that Greek word means, which it means welcome the stranger. Help us to welcome those that we don't know very well, that are out there serving the Lord. Help us to encourage them, love them, support them. But also, Lord, as the text said, help us to encourage and show hospitality toward those we don't know. Help, it, help us to be overwhelmed with a love and a compassion for all people. No matter the situation they're in, help us to love them and show hospitality. In Jesus' mighty name I pray, Father. Amen. Amen.